All right, this is the 11th and final week in our series called Tough Stuff. We've been in this series for most of the fall and now into the winter. And if you've been following along with us, you would agree with me when I say that it's been a ride. We have been talking about how our faith sort of rubs up against the culture. And we've established that in a lot of ways, there are many points of divergence between what we think and believe and practice as Christians versus what the world thinks and believes and practices in our culture. We've established that if we just go with the flow and follow the tide of the culture, it's not going to lead us closer to God, but further from God. Uh, If we just do, think, believe, say what everybody else does, it's not going to lead us into a deeper experience of the life that God has for us. So we need to be, as a people, able to think not just culturally, but to think biblically. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And we've talked about a whole bunch of different subjects. We've talked about things like identity and sexuality and how we take care of our bodies and the language we use. We've talked about racism. It's been sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes controversial, sometimes maybe up in our kitchens a little bit. But it's been really, really good because we've gotten to see a lot of truth, practical, timely truth from God's word. And we've also gotten to take a hard look at God's grace. Uh, which we'll talk about again today as well. Today, as we wrap this series up, we're talking about life and death. Uh, Not just life and death in general, though there would be some variance in what our culture and the world thinks about life versus how we as Christians see life. We believe that it's from God and for God, and it's uh, all about worshiping God and abiding in Him. Uh, And death is the same way. We believe that after this life comes another life, and those of us who believe in and belong to Jesus will go and be with Him forever. A lot of non-Christians don't think that way. But we're not talking just broadly about life and death today. I want to zoom in on two culturally significant aspects of life and death. One is abortion. This little thing called abortion that doesn't seem to ever crop itself up in every single generation. And the other one is medical assistance in dying. Those things are both large, charged topics. They're not really ones we would tend to bring up around the dinner table uh, or in, in any sort of company. But they're things that we need to know God's heart on and what God's word says and what our response ought to be. Because these are big, weighty issues in our culture. So first thing we'll do then, we'll talk about abortion. Uh, You guys know about abortion. It's been around for a long, long time. It's the premature termination of a pregnancy. It's when someone decides, I am pregnant with a child, but I'm choosing to uh, have a procedure to end the life or the existence of that child. Um, This is obviously a large one in our culture. Our culture is very strongly uh, voices its opinion on abortion. We we live in what's known as a pro-choice culture. You've heard the language, pro-choice, woman's right to choose, my body, my choice, all that stuff. That is strongly the posture that our culture takes. And it's not anymore just a moral or an ethical conversation. This has actually woven its way into many other aspects of life. For instance, it's political now too. I remember back sometime last year, I was watching the TV uh, one night and it was during the federal election campaign. And you know how the commercials come on about, oh, if vote for my party and if I'm elected prime minister, I'll promise X, Y, Z and it may or may not actually happen. Um, that was one of those. A liberal commercial came on and said, if I am elected prime minister of Canada, I will aggressively lobby for a woman's right to choose. Like that was a political promise right on the TV. 
so it's really intertwined into our social fabric. And again, it's, it's a very large topic. As far as the law goes, abortion has been legal in Canada for some time, since 1988. It is actually legal to get an abortion at any stage of a pregnancy in Canada, whether it's you're one week pregnant or you're 39 weeks pregnant, all is legal under the sun there. The thing in Canada is this, you, abortions are not universally accessible across our country. It kind of depends on where you live, what services are offered, if there are physicians close by who are willing to do the procedure. Sometimes the physicians are only willing to do it up to a certain period of time, like 24 weeks, for instance. And that just kind of contributes to the volatility of the situation. Some people say this shouldn't be legal at all. Some people say it's ridiculous that it's not universally accessible. It really, it really amps this up. As far as why people get abortions go, there are many reasons for that. Uh, and it's tough to pinpoint a specific one. Sometimes people get them for many different reasons, but a lot of the top ones are as follows. Number one, uh, people choose abortion because the pregnancy was unwanted. They say, this was not part of my plan or my program, so I'm not having any part of this. Number two, people tend to get abortions out of fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not mature enough. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I have what it takes to, to look after a child in this crazy world. Number three, sometimes it's a stability issue, whether it's a financial stability, like I don't have the money to feed myself, let alone another person, or maybe it's relational instability, like the father of this child is in and out of my life, or I'm not sure about them, or whatever. Instability is a reason why people choose abortion. Number four, interference with life. Just generally speaking, some people think, look, I am not in a place where I want to have a baby because it's going to interfere with my work life, my school life, my social life, and that is not happening for me. And number five, another common reason for abortion is shame. A lot of people will think, well, if I carry this baby out to full term, it's going to eventually be visible to others. And that's going to give people a little bit of a clue and a cue that I've got some sort of sexual history. And for some people, that's really too much to bear. So that's why they choose abortion. Uh, let's move on then to medical assistance in dying. Just kind of a little overview on that. Uh, you guys have heard of this, no doubt, as well. It is, it is terminating life at the end. Where abortion is something that happens at the beginning of a life, medical assistance in dying is something that comes along at the end. This one's a little more recent as far as legality is concerned. It's been legal in Canada since only 2016. That's just six years ago. Um, all it really requires, it's a big process that you got to go through, but all that's really required to obtain medical assistance in dying is a serious terminal condition in an advanced state. Matter of fact, you don't even need to have a timeline on your prognosis. It's not like if you get a diagnosis and you've got, say, six months or less to live, then you qualify for it. No, there doesn't have to be any kind of timeline attached to it at all. As long as you have some kind of chronic, serious condition, there can be a case made, legally speaking, that you would qualify for medical assistance in dying. Now, again, there are many reasons why a person would choose this. If you hear this and go, that sounds crazy to me, uh, many factors go into this. Some people choose this because it would be an end for the person's suffering. That's the way they see it, right? Is look, this person's quality of life is really low. Uh, they're in a lot of pain all the time, and it would just be better and more, more pleasant and better all around if we just cut this short. Uh, for some people, it's a decision that they make so that they can go out on their own terms. 
right? I'm going to choose when I go. I'm not going to let my sickness or my pain or, or whatever take me. I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to go out on top. Some people, <coughs> pardon me, make the argument that there's not even a moral difference between uh, letting someone sort of die in the natural process of time versus intervening medically and causing it to happen early. So they say it's a non-issue. Why don't we do it? All of this, to say all of that, and there's so much more we could say about abortion and medical assistance and dying, but all of that to say these are two very controversial topics. Uh, it's really a tangled, complicated web of ethical things and legal things and moral questions, and it can vary depending on who you're talking to. Some people say, is this dignified that we do these things? Is it is it murder? Like, should we even tolerate it from that standpoint? The question of who gets to choose, who gets to make these calls comes up. So it's very, very tricky. It's a very slippery slope. But what I want to submit to you is this. Regardless of the way that it's done or how the decision is made, really the heart of the issue and what we're going to explore today as the heart of the issue of abortion and medical assistance in dying is the fact that human life is getting cut short. For us as Christians, like that's kind of where we're focusing in on. The fact that human life is cut short. And again, when you approach this from the cultural point of view, the culture will say, well, it comes down to personal choice. And there's no objective morality to guide this process. Whatever I think, whatever truth is for me in this situation, that's what I'm going to do. And straight up, when we get to a point where we're starting to view matters of life and death subjectively, it's pretty shaky ground. It's a pretty slippery slope because we as human beings are not meant to have the capacity or to be in a place where we're making those decisions of who lives and who dies. So we cannot take the world's point of view on this. We need to take God's point of view. We need to, again, think biblically if we're going to line ourselves up with the Lord on this. And I'll say it very simply, and we'll explore this a little bit more, but very simply, abortion and medical assistance in dying, that, that choice to terminate life is not part of God's plan. Neither one of those are part of God's plan. And we're going to explore the why behind this. Because again, we need to know what God's heart is on this. So what does God say then about life and death? What does God say about life and death specifically as it pertains to abortion and medical assisted dying? I've got three things for you on that. Number one is this. God is sovereign over life and death. That just means sovereign means he's over top of it. He's in control over all things. Nothing gets by God or surprises God. God is in control. God is on his throne. And he is over life and death. It says in Job 12.10, in his hand, God's hand, is the life of every living thing. That kind of says it all right there. But you can uh, see in a few other scriptures here, like Jeremiah 1.5, says, before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you, right? There was something going on behind the scenes that God was aware of that we as humans don't have the capacity to see, but God does. Isaiah 49, 1 says, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. Again, there's activity of God. There's, there's involvement and knowledge of God happening all through the process behind the curtain before we know anything about it as far as a life is concerned. As far as uh, on the death side of things goes, like at the end of life, 
Job 14.5, it says that our days are determined, our number of months is with God, and that God appoints limits that we cannot pass. God is sovereign over the whole process of life and death. And here's the problem. When we choose to pursue uh, something like abortion or something like medical-assisted dying, what what we're really doing is trying to play God. We're taking matters into our own hands. And we read Job 12.10. It says, that's in God's hands. That's God's business. That's God's thing. But we try to take it into our own hands and intervene. And though, yes, we can never usurp God's authority. God is always in control and in charge and on his throne no matter what we do. Yes. But the point is it's not our place to try to step into his shoes. It's not our place to try to make some of these calls. Like we are not wired or equipped or designed to make those decisions. God is sovereign over life and death. And so we are not to try to get into his lane on that one. Number two, God says that life extends beyond physical birth and death. We tend to see it from the date on your birth certificate and the date on your death certificate. But life in existence really is quite a bit more than that. And God sees that all. And God considers that all. Look at a couple of scriptures here. Psalm 139, great psalm. It says in verse 13, it says that God, it says to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It says my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You can see clearly in there. It's not just the day you were born physically on this earth. God is involved way back here before we ever even were conceived or were a twinkle in our parents' eye. God was aware of our life. God considered our life. Luke 141 is another scripture. Now, what's happening in Luke chapter 1, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, they're going to get together and hang out for a while, have a little visit. And it says this, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, they were both pregnant at the time, I should have elaborated. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Pause there. Holy Spirit's mentioned God is involved in this process. God is doing something here. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. You know what doesn't leap for joy? Something that isn't alive. Just saying. On the death side of things, you read verses like Philippians 1.23 where Paul says, My desire is to depart and go to be with the Lord. He says, I don't want to be here anymore. This place is like a dumpster fire. I want to go and be with the Lord because that would be far better. In other words, I mean, there's a lot you could say about that verse, but, but Paul knows. 
that after this life comes something else. This isn't just the end of it here. John 8, 51, Jesus says, whoever does my word, he will live forever. Uh, John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. There's more. There's more behind the curtain. Matthew 25, 46 talks about it in a different vein. It talks about people who will go to eternal punishment, people who don't know the Lord. The point is this. When it comes to an unborn baby, God considers that a life. Again, the culture would strongly disagree in many ways. Oh, it's not till the baby's born physically. No, that is not how God sees it at all. You cannot make a biblical argument stating that whatsoever. Furthermore, God says existence extends beyond the point of our physical death on earth. It's more than that. It's more on either end of what we often consider. So we need to stop interfering with the process. Because again, God is over it. Number three, what God says about life and death. God says that life is precious. We treat it like it's such a commodity in this world. But God says life is precious. I, I'll take you back to Genesis 127. I feel like we've been on that verse a lot of times in this series. But it's so, so critically important Genesis 1.27 says that we, male and female, were made in God's image, after His likeness. Hugely important verse. You and I were made in the image of God. That is a position and a posture of dignity. And that dignity is to be upheld. We're not to treat that with contempt. That's why, like we've said throughout this series, any destructive activity on our bodies or any demeaning activity toward uh, men or women is not part of God's plan because uh, we're made in His image. You even think of something like John 3.16 where it says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son uh, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Like you, you consider the fact that in and of ourselves we've sinned against God. We've done wrong by God. We have rendered ourselves incapable of living the life that God has for us because of our sin. Uh, we've actually made ourselves enemies of God by our sin. And yet He loves us so much that He intervenes in our situation. And it's not so much because we deserved it or we were so worthy of it. No, it's that God looked at us and said, I'm, I'm saying that their life means something to me. It's important to me. It's precious to me. And that's something, I mean, we could spend our whole lives trying to wrap our heads around why God would choose to save people like us, sinners like us. But He does, because He loves us. Life is precious in the sight of God. So when you look at things like abortion and medical assistance and dying, that is a cheapening of human life. And God says that it's precious. Whatever our reasons are for doing this, whether it's fear or instability or it's suffering or it's go out on my own terms, whatever it is, our reasons for doing these things do not supersede God's will and God's heart. This is, this is human life we're talking about here. And we do not have the right to decide to end one, whether it's in uh, the pregnancy stage or at the end of life stage. It is not our place to decide that. We as Christians need to take on that kind of a worldview. This is not something that is from God. Now understand, nobody makes these decisions lightly. 
Christian or not Christian. Nobody makes these decisions lightly. Uh, it's not an easy thing at all. And I don't mean to patronize anybody or suggest this is something you just you know shrug off, whatever. Like I get it. It's heavy. It's large. Some people might come along and say, well, are there gray areas to all of this? Are there ever cases where an abortion is okay or medical assisted dying is okay? The short answer, I don't really know. Um, my guess, though, or my, my when I look at the scriptures, is if, if, if there is any gray area, it's a pretty narrow one. I think the vast majority of the time, this is not something that God is okay with. God has a different plan. And so we need to choose, will I trust God? Even if I maybe don't understand, even if you know, the entire culture, the entire world is going a different way, will we take God at His word? Will we trust God in what He says? And again, I will reemphasize, God says life is precious. So anything done to cheapen this gift of life, it's not part of God's will and God's plan. Now, I've probably upset a few people already. So here's what I want to do. I want to start kind of winding this down. What I want to talk about now is, we, I mean, we've seen what God says about some of these things. What I want to do now is ask this question. What do we do in response? God has spoken. God has laid out His Word. God has shared His heart with us this morning. What do we do in response? And I've got three things on this as well. The first thing we do in response to this Word, we, we're going to continually stand on God's Word. This is just a, a general point. Like I said already, we need to be a people who are willing to think biblically. We need to be a people who are willing to stand on the Word and our first instinct to be to open God's Word. And again, like we've explored, the word says abortion, medical assisted dying. They are wrong. So we are not going to say that they're right, even if it costs us. And I have news for you. Taking on this kind of stance of what God uh, would lay out in his word, uh, it is going to cost you in the culture. You've probably seen how these conversations go, right? Abortion, medical assisted dying, these are not really conversations of, oh, two people sat down and they had a level-headed, rational conversation, a good discourse there, and at the end they just agreed to disagree and they shook hands and continued on. That's not how this works a lot of the time. Matter of fact, even just bringing up these topics can upset people. And so taking on the biblical posture of these things is likely to cost you. People probably are going to throw some shade at you. People are going to label you maybe a bigot or hateful or outdated or this or that. And I don't mean to suggest that's going to be easy to receive, but the point is we know what God says about this and we're not going to jettison this in favor of some cultural worldview. Now granted, there are probably helpful and unhelpful ways of having this conversation. I'm not suggesting you go into work tomorrow and get up on your desk and take out a megaphone and start yelling and screaming that abortion is sinful, medical assisted dying is wrong. Wouldn't recommend that. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not, we're not in a place where we're at liberty to change our stance on this because God has clearly laid this out in His Word. So we're going to stand on the Word. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to stand for justice. This one kind of nailed me this week. The Lord kind of got me with this one. Justice, as you guys know, justice is the process of making things right. A wrong has been done. It's going to be fixed and righted. Justice involves upholding the truth. Uh, it's fighting for the right way of something. Um, and that is something that's very close to God's heart. 
God himself is a God of justice. It says in many places in his word, God is a just God. And as far as it goes for us, it says in Micah 6, 8, hey, what, are, what does God expect for us to do? It says, it's to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly before our God. That pretty much is a whole life's worth of activity right there. But seek justice. Since God is a God of justice, we need to be a people of justice as well. Now, justice pertains to many, many, many things. It's more than abortion. It's more than just medical assisted dying. And this is a lifelong process for us. Like it's a whole life as a Christian pursuing justice in the sight of God. Uh, making things right as God would have them be made right. And we're also going to need lots of grace in this. We're going to stumble. We're going to fail to uphold justice as we should sometimes. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're perfect as Christians. Um, we're not trying to be hypocrites or anything. Uh, but this is the target that we aim at. Here's the thing with justice, though. This is where the Lord got me. It's really easy to do nothing, especially if you're not immediately affected by some of these things. You might hear this and say, oh, well, abortion not really something that is in my purview in life. So whatever, roll on. Medical assisted dying, nah, I've got lots of years left. It's not really going to bother me any. So I just won't think about this. I won't do anything about this. Here's the thing. We're entitled or we're obligated, I should say, to do something. Matter of fact, I was just thinking about how God was was not super obligated to do anything on our behalf when we were in sin, when we were lost in our sin, dying in our sin, hopeless in our sin. But God stepped in. He stepped in to make payment for our sin, to satisfy His wrath for our sin. He didn't have to do something. He chose to do something. And so if we're people that claim the name of Jesus, if we're people that claim to pursue the heart of God, we can't just overlook justice in any area, in any capacity. And abortion and medical-assisted dying definitely are unjust. You think about uh, uh, someone, an unborn baby. If that baby is aborted, like they don't have a voice with which to defend themselves. It's just done to them. Uh, medical-assisted dying, even though the person who's having it done to them sometimes has say or a lot of say in that process, that is still a matter of injustice. A life is being ended. And we can't just do nothing on that. Now, what is God asking us to do? Is he asking us to stage a march and a protest, like walk down the streets? I don't know. Is he wanting us to do a social media campaign? I don't know. Is he asking us to do a fundraiser? I'm not sure. Though we have, for instance, supported the Pregnancy Resource Center in the past. Is he leading us to have individual conversations with people who might be struggling in this area? I don't know. But the point is this. We need to do something and we can't afford to do nothing. We need to pursue justice. We need to be open to the Lord's leading, both as individual believers, what does God want me to do, and as a church. If God knocks on the door and says, I want you to step into this gap and do X, Y, Z about abortion or medical-assisted dying, like we got to be prepared to do it. We can't just sit in our cozy little seats and do nothing. Because God is a God of justice. So we're going to stand for justice. And the third thing we're going to do is we're going to stand for grace. We're going to stand for grace. And this one is so, always so important. God has shown us tremendous grace, believers. Again, I've said it. Like, we were dying in our sin. We were lost in our sin. My dog is up here with me, just so you know. We were dying and lost in our sin, and God reached in and He saved us. He showed compassion on us. He had grace for us. 
And God has great grace available for all, for all people. And I will just say it very plainly and clearly. Anyone that has maybe had an abortion or is wrestling with that somehow, or anybody that's ever done anything in the realm of medical assisted dying, God has grace for you. God will absolutely forgive those things. Those are not things that are beyond God's reach of forgiving you for. Not at all. God has great grace for us. Matter of fact, it says in Psalm 86, 5, God is good and forgiving. He abounds in steadfast love to all, call upon, all who call upon Him. So that's us. God has grace for us. And as Christians, as a people who have been shown tremendous grace, we then need to show it to other people. It says in Colossians 3, 12, put on then as God's chosen God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, and kindness, and a list of other things. God has shown grace to us. We are to show it to other people. God is for us, and we, as Christians, we need to be for other people. Now, we're not necessarily for everything that people do. This comes back to the conversation of affirming, right? We've talked about affirming. To affirm something is to say, yes, this is great. This is good. This is okay. Let's celebrate it. Let's really cherish this thing. No, 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 no. We're not going to affirm or celebrate things like abortion or medical-assisted dying. Uh, it says, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, God says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Like, we're not going to be engaging in that as a church, as God's people. This is where we draw the line. We think these things are sinful. But there is still room, as we walk this out, there is still room to show grace to other people. It's not a matter of we've got to whack people over the head with the truth. But we speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. We, we show respect to other people. We act reasonably in front of other people. We show love to other people. We show them that we care. We don't just write someone off in the midst of their struggle, but we come alongside them in the midst of their struggle. Because again, that is what the Lord has done with us and to us and for us. And, and we cannot control what other people do. Say you have a conversation with someone or you're praying with someone about something to do with abortion or medical assisted dying or whatever it is, they may still go out and choose to do whatever. They may still go out and choose to sin. You can't necessarily control that, but what you can control is how you treat them. What you can control is how you represent Jesus Christ to them. And we don't want to be known, unnecessarily anyway, as... Christians as people who are hateful, who are bigots, who are intolerant, who are unsympathetic, this, that, the other thing. No, we, we want to be known as a people, yes, who stand for the truth, who aren't afraid to speak up about the truth, but also can show other people generous and radical grace and love. Again, sometimes it's a bit of a, a balancing act, a little bit of a tightrope we need to walk, but that is the walk that Jesus would have us walk. Because Jesus himself is full of grace and truth. So we follow in his footsteps. Here's what we're going to do now. We're really going to wind her in now. We're going, to, we're going to wrap this whole series up. As we consider the last 11 weeks worth of stuff that we've talked about, tough stuff, it's been tough, here's the ultimate takeaway that I want us to remember from all of this. I want us to remember the gospel. The gospel. We've talked about all these different subjects over the last number of weeks, and I hope that it's been helpful for you. I hope that this has been helpful in helping us establish a Christian worldview and a Christian perspective on some of these things and what our stances need to be on some of these really significant issues of our day. But ultimately, our greatest stance, our greatest message 
as a church, as Christians, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel good news of how there is a God by whom and for whom all things exist, including us. And He has a life for us, a life of walking with Him and following Him and abiding in Him and enjoying Him and worshiping Him. The gospel that says we have actually ruined that though. We have sinned against God and separated ourselves from Him and, and put ourselves in the path of His wrath and on track for punishment and condemnation and shame. It's the gospel that says even though that is our state, even though we're all sinners, separate from God, God loves us so much that He intervenes in our mess. He sends Jesus, His Son, to die on a cross in our place to pay for our mess, to pay for our sins, though He Himself had no sin. He stepped in to our history to make payment for our shortcomings. It's the gospel that says that Jesus died on that cross, bearing the full weight of our sin, that he was buried in the ground, but on the third day he rose from the grave. Death could not claim him, the grave could not hold him down. He rose, he conquered, he is victorious, he is triumphant, he is greater, he has the final word, he is where our hope comes from and our victory comes from. It's the gospel that says that Jesus now calls all people to turn from their sins, to repent of their sins, to turn to Him, to trust in Him, to accept Him as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. It's the gospel that teaches us when we do that, when we come to Jesus, we are saved and fully set free and our status is secure and our eternity is secure in Him. It's the gospel that says when we come to Jesus, we then strike out on a whole life of walking with Him and serving Him and worshiping Him and abiding in Him. It's the gospel that teaches that when this life is over, we will go to be with Jesus forever in a place where all is made new and all is better for eternity. That is the gospel. That is the good news. All of these things we've talked about the last number of weeks are important. They are weighty things in our culture. Uh, but what makes our church the church is not our stance on any one of those particular things. It is our holding fast to Jesus and the message of the gospel that makes us who we are. So we need to be about a people, we need to be a people who are all about Jesus, all about the gospel, and how we let Jesus and his gospel message shape and inform all of these important topics that we've talked about and so much more. So my prayer, my friends, is that we through this series will not have just seen a list of do's and don'ts, important as they are. My prayer is that we will have seen and gained a deeper appreciation for Jesus Christ and the gospel message that he extends to us. If you're hearing this and you have never accepted Jesus, if you're not a Christian yet, he is calling you to trust in him, to follow him, to be saved by him. He has a life for you. He has forgiveness and grace for you. He has a future and a hope for you. If you want to know more about that, reach out to us. Send us a message. Get in touch. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, this gospel message, this gospel invitation from Jesus is that we would continue to trust in Him, continue to press in, continue to pursue Him, continue to dig deeper in Him, continue to abide in Him. Because He has a life and more of a life for us. And as He sends us, Christians, into this world, 
where all of these issues that we've talked about are prevalent. He sends us by the power of his Holy Spirit and with the good news of his gospel. So let's go.